This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports Station. And Brooke Warr, you are. And Brooke, you are. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Uh, no, it will not be the Howdy Wyman and Bob show. That's definitely not the announcement. I'm, I can't tell you what the announcement is, but I'm definitely I can I can officially tell you that's not it. <laughs> I don't think Bob would be mad at me for telling you that, right? The more you talk about it, the more I'm worried you're not. You are going to show that you can't I keep know. a secret. I know. I'm not going to do that. Stop! I would never. That's a terrible thing. That's their that's their announcement to make. But two o'clock today, Wyman and Bob do have an announcement, uh, and uh, you should tune in and listen to it. I think it's really cool. Secondly. I want to play you these two cuts. One is from Dave Wyman. The other is from KJ Wright. And they have very kind of two views that I'm not sure necessarily work together, at least right now. Now, they could end up coming together. But when you hear them, I think you'll hear some of the difference. Here is KJ joining us yesterday and telling us just how likely he thinks it is that the Seahawks do sign Geno Smith. The question is, it's not if Geno's going to get signed, it's when would Geno Smith get signed. And I think the biggest question that the fan base is looking for is, what's that magic number going to be? What can John Snyder and Coach Carroll and Geno all agree to? And I believe when you look at Geno, when you look at any player that's up for a contract, it's a complete body of work, right? When we look at Geno Smith, it's only been one season of phenomenal football and so i'm very interested to see will this will this be a type of contract to where you have a good base salary but hey gino we love you you did phenomenal for us let's put a few incentives in here for you to re- reaffirm us reassure us that you are the quarterback that we are paying so kj says it's a matter of if not when like it's going to happen it's a matter of when not if excuse me it's going to happen it's just a matter of the time yeah and is there a base number and, and he joked and said <laughs> yeah i kind of short changed the last time and our final uh kj right appearance at 20 million it's not going to be 20 million it's going to be a number close to 30 million and then can you find enough incentives mm-hmm. you know when gino is by one list the number two free agent by another list he's in the top five free agents on any list that's going to come out before the new league year begins in a month with free agents. Geno Geno Smith is not going to be less than 10 on anyone's list. And those guys in the first wave make some serious coin. So, you know, can they find a deal and broker a deal that is rich enough in some incentives that Geno is satisfied? And if I'm Geno, I'm saying, why do I have to have incentives? KJ's argument is a good one. Well, because you've only had one year of success. But uh, again, the market is what the market will bear. So Dave Wyman yesterday on Wyman and Bob said this about what he believes Geno might be looking for. I feel like for whatever reason that Geno wants $40 million. I I think that's that's his number. I'm going to say right now, I wouldn't give it to him. I love what he did. I love who he was this year. $40 million. Best of luck to you, my friend. I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. I mean, I think to me, it's it's like thirty. It's right around. Or if they did the thirty-two point four million, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Forty mil. That sounds about right for what he's looking for. If if, if you're Geno Smith and you've hired an agent to do your bidding and your work, hey man, I'm not starting out at a number close. <laughs> I'm, I'm going big. Mm-hmm. I'm going Derek Carr. I'm I'm showing you all these other slappies that made near $40 million this year and put my numbers and my resume and my body of work up against them. 
And if they're making forty million, and that's what the market's been willing to pay that position to that kind of second level, not Mahomes, not elite, 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 but right there, the Kirk Cousins of the world, pay me it, forty. Man. I think that is such a dangerous spot to be, and I, I can understand being in the elite category. I understand when you've got Patrick Mahomes, you got to keep him. He's going to play in the Super Bowl this weekend for very good reason. I can understand, I guess, the sort of the KJ original 20, 25 million. I think I'm on board there. If we're in Cincinnati. 30 do, is where do, I start struggling, and at 40? Now you're paying for a second-tier guy, and you're paying huge money for it. I, can't, I couldn't get behind that. If we're in Cincinnati, you paying Joe Burrow 55 million? Before I pay Gino 40, yes. Justin, you paying you yes, paying Joe yes. Burrow fifty five? Oh wow, jeez! Give anything he wants. Name the stadium after him. <laughs> anything he wants. They already tried that with uh, Arrowhead. It didn't work very well. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, good point. You shut your hole and know your role, you jabroni. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I I four, could, four, forty gets to I a number. Forty gets to a number that no matter how you want to move pieces around and how how you figure out the salary cap and and how forty gets to an untenable number when it comes to building the rest of the team and filling the rest of the needs and voids and, and frankly to me de-incentivize Gino in a way that I don't I don't want to do that mm-hmm. man you know I, I really do I, I want what KJ wants I want to make that case and say hey man we built you up remember remember all that you said after the season about what you have here do you, do you remember those conversations with John Schneider about playing in the CFL do you remember who brought you back year after year when you were on the open market how many other teams are clamoring for you then, right? And we grew you. Now, listen, this we understand, and we're not going to sit here and say we made you. You made yourself. You bet on yourself. You kept believing in yourself, and you played at a level that took us to the playoffs this year, and you were one of the big reasons. And our defense was one of the horrific reasons for this season. So mm-hmm. I get it. You're, you're due a significant amount of money. But once we get into this $40 million range, we start – yeah, we, we start – Unfortunately, hurting this team. Yeah. It starts hurting this. The, the, the Brooke, build this of this is team. In, this is right in keeping with your general view. I mean, in in general, you like incentives and worry about guys after they get paid. I think that's a general theme as we've talked about contracts in all sports over the course of our decade and a half together. Almost, yep. I think that's a pretty definitive theme. You yep. are generally interested in making sure guys still have an incentive to play hard. It, the world, unfortunately, doesn't usually work that way, right? Agents get involved. The market comes in. Other teams are willing to guarantee more. Uh, in baseball, the union is essentially guaranteed that will never happen, right? So so mm-hmm. your desire for incentive-based contracts is not really the norm. It's in not fact, founded in reality? It's not founded. It's founded in a small amount of reality. I mean, Gino did have... Gino's reality this year, was. right? I mean, it, it does happen in these smaller cases. Yep. And there are some incentives built in, mm-hmm. but these incentive-rich deals where everyone's got to prove it all the time, I appreciate why you want them. I don't disagree with you from a, from a team-building standpoint. Yep. But it's not really reality. Nope. No, it's not. No, it's not. And Gino's going to make that clear. Like, hey, it's Kirk Cousins. Is Tannehill right? Why do I are, have to? Why do I have to earn it when then none of them do? Yep. And then I think the you know then you start walking this line and mm-hmm. then play this game of chicken. Then okay. Then what did you say about the market? The market is what the market's willing to pay. And if you're not willing to give me this, is is you know one of these QB hungry teams in other markets? 
right? Carolina and, and Atlanta and New Orleans. And we'll see what comes out of that visit yesterday with Mr. Carr down in New Orleans, right? One of these 14 other teams, 10 other teams, obviously four or five of them are going to draft a quarterback. Derek Carr and Rogers going to end somewhere. But is there two, three, four teams in those Buccaneers, mm. right? In a year where they've got to win and that coach has got to win and he's going to want a veteran. Are those Buccaneers going to put together a deal that doesn't have any incentives but actually gives me and my at that money? Point, why would I possibly play the deal where I need to earn it versus the one where somebody's just going to pay me for it? So right. it's great to want them until somebody else is like, yeah, I don't care about that. I'm willing to pay you. So yep. uh, great stuff from both Wyman and KJ. KJ joined us yesterday. And again, 2 o'clock today, big announcement, big show announcement for Wyman and Bob, uh, which is uh, going to be worth you turning into, I believe. All right. Uh, we're going to give you everything you need to know next, including a good news bad news situation for one of the local teams in town. Some breaking news just a few minutes ago. And then Jerry Depoto will join us coming up in 20 minutes. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 seattlesports.com. We are the home of the Mariners. The Mariners this year, it's just a special kind of excitement. It's time for Jerry Depoto. Multiple things to be excited about. We've got the All-Star game in July. We've Let's got the Winter go. Classic coming go. in January. Let's it's go. a good time to be here. The home of Julio. Goodbye, baseball! Julio Rodriguez! He is the guy now. He's the face of this organization. There is a lot to be excited about with the Mariners. We are Seattle Sports. On 710 and at seattlesports.com. Hey, Brock Hewitt here for my friends over at 3010. For Whitney in particular, I know I get to brag about her on a daily basis when I tell you about 3010, but she is worthy of those accolades. She's a nutritionist that's walked through this 3010 program with Molly and I over the last couple months. I'm in the maintenance phase. I'm working out. I'm enjoying everything. I've cut the body fat and cut the pounds that I'm looking for, and uh, Whitney has helped in that phase. Whitney will be there, like so many of the nutritionists, will be there for you when you say yes to 3010. Yes to losing, like so many have in our community, hundreds of thousands of pounds over the years through 3010, where you lose weight and you learn while you're losing that weight. Why? When? How? All of those questions are answered for you. And I know some of you are saying, but hold on a second, Mr. Heward. You know, I got vegan or I'm gluten-free. I'm dairy-free. That's fine. They've got 10 different programs available in every meal plan there waiting for you to say yes. So make the call to 855-YES-3010. 855-YES-3010. Online at 3010weightlossforlife.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it's very much the story of the day today, and it's more bad news for Russell Wilson, whose entire career arc has really taken a dark turn over the course of the last year. Uh, obviously, everything we've seen on the field and now some of these off-field revelations. A big article yesterday in USA Today uh, to report that investigated his charity foundation and what they found was not good. Somewhere around 28% of the donations went to actual charities, which is very low, but not unique, uh, unfortunately as Jason Wolf, who wrote the article, told us he didn't do enough to try to fix that problem. Meanwhile, the biggest thing for me is some of the exaggerations. Much of what you know, the Russell Wilson Foundation does in terms of saying that, oh, well, together we donated $10 million with Safeway and Albertson to Seattle Children's Hospital. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that might be true. Um, but when you look at the tax records, it's like 800000 from the Russell Wilson Foundation, and it's $10 million from Safeway and Albertson's, and 
half of that money was donated before Safeway and Albertson says they even partnered with the Russell Wilson Foundation. So, you know, you have this nonprofit that, that's taking credit for, for doing more than what its tax records reveal. Oh, what was that old book and movie, Too Big to Fail? Right, talk, talking about many of those firms on Wall Street and where things got to, Salk. I just feel the more that we talk about this, and we've talked about Russell over this last year, it is just too much, man. It's just, you're just trying to do and be too big, and it's not possible. You know, my in-laws were in town. You know, the great Larry Hills likes to say to me, life is about trade-offs. And when you're trying to be a mogul, and you're trying to be a quarterback, and you're trying to be a charity fundraiser, and you're trying to be a dad, and you're trying to be all of these things, there is just not, things are going to get short shrift. And there's just not going to be an ability. And in this case, man, this is the most dangerous of all of those, because this has significant tax implications. Mm -hmm. You are a tax-exempt nonprofit, and you have to operate in that way. And you have to dot every I and cross every T and make sure all those forms are crystal clear. And you start donating 29 cents on the dollar. You start paying your employees at a rate higher than anybody else. Uh, that is more than a red flag. Yeah, you know, it's funny. For years, we've sort of laughed at the idea of no time to sleep. And it is sort of a cheeky, sort of cheesy thing to make fun of. But it's kind of at the root of all this, yeah. right? Like when you are pretending that you don't need sleep, you think you can take on all of these things. And right now it's ending, unfortunately, in disaster for us. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, a week after we first heard about it, the Mariners did finally make it official. And we can talk to Jerry DePoto about it coming up in 10 minutes. Dylan Moore signs a three-year deal worth just under $9 million. And there are, Brock, you'll be happy to hear some uh, incentives in there for him as well. It avoids two years of arbitration and it buys out one year of free agency. It's pretty good value. Again, uh, he's going to play, I think, a fair amount this year, um, both at second and at short. And I think his value goes up a little bit with these new rules, putting a premium both on defense and range and on speed on the base path. So nice job by the Mariners here. Pretty cool last year. All of that was organic, right? It wasn't, what was the uh, James Paxton thing out in center field? Maple after, Grove. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the Kings court? That was really cool. And then you try to do these things like, eh, now let it happen organically. Yep. It's better that way. And the whole scat back thing between him and Haggerty, it just, it grew over the course of the season as they grew into those roles. And you need superstars. You need them in the NBA, and we'll get to that in a second. You need them in the NFL. You need them in baseball. You need those guys that every time they come into the batter's box can change the game. And Julio is that superstar. But playoff teams, championship teams, go look at them through all the years. You know what they have? Role players that buy into that role, know exactly who they are, know exactly what they are, are never going to be a star, but they're going to be a star in their role. And that's what those two were last year. And as you said, uh, with the rule changes and the implications of it, that speed and that playmaking and just that little scat back could play an even bigger role in 2023. Here's the third thing you need to know. Crack and get back to it tonight in New Jersey. Uh, they made a flurry of roster moving announcements today. The bad news, Andre Burakovsky has gone to the injured list, which was certainly not mm. unexpected after he left the game uh, two nights ago with a non-contact injury. So that's a huge bummer. They do get Justin Schultz back from injury. So he was reinstated today. And they also called up winger John Hayden, who I actually thought played pretty darn well on the fourth line when he was up uh, a couple of weeks ago. So flurry of roster moves. They will be in New Jersey tonight and try to get back onto the winning train. Yeah, in a blockbuster trade, the Denver Nuggets went to sleep last night as the top team in the Western Conference. 
third in all of the odds in the NBA to win the title, and they woke up 10 hours later with Kevin Durant traded to the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns now the leader when it comes to that as far as odds go in the Western Conference. And good for Phoenix, Mike. I mean, haven't they been through enough? The poor Red Sea has been parted. Nobody wants an NFL job down there. Their hockey team has to play in the collegiate arena. Their baseball team is a disaster. I mean, don't Burns and Gambo and our sister station down there, don't they at least deserve this? The Suns fell flat on their face a couple years ago when they were supposed to win the whole thing. Don't they just at at least deserve a little cookie? We'll be down there in a few weeks. We'll see what we see when we get there. That's everything you need to know. And we do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show. Jerry DePoto coming up in 10 minutes. Um, Let's see. Big big announcement on the station today at 2 o'clock. Wyman and Bob will be making an announcement. And then, uh, yeah, I get this text message in. I wanted to address it quickly. Uh, I think they're jumping on the Russell Wilson hate bandwagon why look at his charity did they look at others what about and then he gets into a lot of political stuff which i'm not going to to read but i got a lot of that response yesterday on twitter and now i'm getting it here on uh, on text this isn't about that and i and i by the way had kind of the same reaction at first too my initial reaction was who tipped these guys off to russ mm-hmm. who hates russell wilson enough that yeah. they are trying to feed somebody a story and, and when i first wrote uh, this uh, column that I put on yesterday on SeattleSports.com. That's how I wrote it. In talking to Jason Wolf, who who joined us in the last hour, uh, I learned that that's not the case. This was an investigation into the NFL and the players who have won the Walter Payton Award for yes. for their charitable work. My guess is that was triggered because every time the NFL calls it its most prestigious award, I think there are people that roll their eyes and say, "Prove it." Well, insignificant monies over six figures go from the league right. to these players to give out but to their charity. I think there's an element of, okay, you say it's your most significant. It's more significant than the MVP. Just because you say it doesn't make it true. Right. And so I think the investigation went down and they looked through all of this. And unfortunately, you know, he sort of explained the difference between Russ and everybody else is that when everyone else realized there was a problem, they tried to fix it. And when Russ found out there was a problem, he leaned into it. Mm. And that's a huge, huge mistake. So I, I encourage you to listen to the interview. Uh, it'll be up shortly at uh, seattlesports.com. You can read my column on it. There's also a link to, uh, to, the, to the original report there as well. Uh, it's all available for you at seattlesports.com. All right. Jerry DePoto is going to join us next, Brock. Uh, we are getting really, really close to spring training. I hope Jerry's about ready, and uh, he may even be down there. If not now, certainly by next week he will be. So uh, looking forward to that. We'll talk to the president of baseball operations next. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports Station. Not going to lie, getting pretty excited to head down to Peoria here in uh, just a couple of weeks. So uh, our show will be down there the week of February 27th to, what, March 3rd, I think it is? Mm-hmm. That Monday to Friday, you nailed it. Yeah. Don't I'm hesitate. sorry, my dates are long. I'm going down a little early, going to come don't back hesitate. a little late. Don't like, hesitate. Well, the don't longer hesitate. I can be down there, I was doing math in my head. I knew I was coming back Sunday the 5th, and so I was like, okay, what's well, Friday? It's got to be So, the Scott, third. what's your record? You guys are 27 you know, and 10, 27. That's unnecessary. <laughs> There's no reason to go there. I got a yeah, little confused is. that day. How dare you? Hey, by the way, I had uh, one of my golf buddies uh, text me, Tom, great guy, and he texted me, and he, he actually gave a pretty good analogy to Russell Wilson, all that conversation. He said, in golf, we call that the Greg Normanized. 
Remember Greg Norman? Great player. Mm-hmm. And then he tried to be everything. Yep. He tried to have a, a wardrobe and apparel line, and then now he's a he's a, a golf designer. He's a pariah he's now. A golf architect. <laughs> he's got his wines, yeah. right? Like, it just got Too so much. big. Yeah. Too much. It's an interesting way of looking at it, and unfortunately, sad story. Right now, let's talk to Jerry Depoto. The Jerry Depoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, guys. How are we doing? You're still here? You haven't gone down yet, have you? No, no, I haven't. So, I, 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 as we discussed last week, I'm definitely getting the edge. All right. Big drive, I know, right? You got the dogs in the car. Everybody heads down to, to Arizona together and, and get yourself ready. But how? you said you've got the itch. What are you most excited about? You know, like I am every spring, just to be around the guys. It's uh, there's there's an energy, and you guys, I know the, the time you're down in Arizona with us in the spring. There's an energy every day, and you know it's it's bustling. And I think it's because we have you know personalities, young players that tend to bring the energy, and it lasts with us all season as a result of that. But that the, that time in in Arizona when you're on top of one another. It's a, it, it's more of a an intimate, laid back environment, and you know you don't have the stresses of preparing for a game, you know, the, getting the pitcher ready, etc. It's it's plain and simple. You're just out there enjoying baseball and awesome weather. I said to Saul, guy, I'd be most curious after all of these years of doing the shows down there, if it will feel different, not sound different, not look different. But, Jerry, it will feel different because you actually made the playoffs and you actually won a playoff series. And you don't have to talk about what you're going to do. You actually made the playoffs. Do you anticipate it feeling a little bit more substantive because of that playoff experience? Do you feel it? Do you think it will feel any different this time around than, I don't know, the last dozen years that we've been there? You know, I, I guess on on some level, I hope it doesn't feel different because I, you'd like to, to maintain that same hunger and those same, you know, that same level of focus and uh, in, in wanting to achieve something together. But at the same time, I, it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, our, our group comes in and approaches it. They should feel proud of what they accomplished a year ago, but you know, I'll, I'll quote our, our young star center fielder who I, I, I may have told you this, but, when he was getting ready to accept his, his rookie of the year award in New York, uh, I guess last Saturday night, he, his, his response to me, I said, enjoy this. You're in every bit of it. And he said, he said, ah, oh, this one's in the books. I'm already focused on the next, <laughs> which is, you know, that that's, that's the, the attitude you have to have if you want it to be, you know, a year in year out thing is, you know, all right, we've done that. Now it's time to move on to the next. Yeah, and I guess that's not a fat and happy. I'm not saying that. Like, oh, look at us. Look at us now. It's not a fat and happy, but there's it, just a... Talking when you, confidence? Is that what yeah, you Yeah, it's just when you've done it. You know, when when I went to Indianapolis and they had been to the playoffs year after year, it's like, that, that's just now the expectation. That's the fiber of winning. And it isn't, oh, we're going to get there. Oh, we're going to get there. Oh, we're going to get over the hump. Oh, we're going to close the gap. So it's not a... Yeah, it's not a level, Jerry, of satisfaction. I guess it's just a level of confidence that goes... Yeah, man. Yeah, we did it. And we know who we are and what we are, and we're a playoff team. Yeah, I do think that that's, you know, it's what we talk about in managing the success moving forward is you want to be able to straddle that line of, you know, I guess 
edginess that that you want to go do something and 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 show somebody what you're capable of you know prove it to yourself and and you can't get on you can't take both feet on that side of the line because then what you risk is that type of you know the 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 fat cat syndrome and and letting it become uh easy to enjoy the moment how you know we enjoyed that one and now it's time to get to work and and go start the next uh i'm gonna ask you some more about some of the guys on your team in a minute but just talking about the rules we had jeff passing on earlier in the week and you know we've been focusing a lot on the shift and even the even the bigger bases which i think are are interesting a four and a half inch difference between first and second base seems like kind of a big deal to me but um, he was he went really in depth into how big a difference the pitch clock will be. He thinks that's going to add to the offense as well. And he went so far as to even say this. I think it's going to be at least 10 points higher. Wow. It's not it's not the shift. It's the pitch clock. OK, I think the pitch clock is going to have and an, I think it is going to be the most important change in baseball in at least half a century. Baseball fans are going to love it. And. People who maybe want to be baseball fans but think games too long are going to be attracted even more to the idea of it now because I think the average game time is going to go down somewhere in the range of 15 minutes. Is this going to be the biggest change in baseball in 50 years? Uh, it, it could be among them. I, maybe one of the things I'm looking forward to most, and, and you know, pitch clock is you know, fans will love it. I, baseball operations people love it. You know, be, be honest with you, and, and I think overall players will will start to embrace it. You know, I'm not sure that I agree that it will take you know offense to a different level because I do think that when pitchers work quicker, hitters don't get an opportunity to clear. And this is going to sound a little Kevin Costner, you know, the, back in the I, I don't remember the name of the movie, that, you know, but. For you know, love of the, the game, mechanism. Mm-hmm. yeah. For love of the game, you know, it, uh, it, you have to be able to clear it out and start over. And and one of the the great advantages, and I learned this from watching Tug McGraw, you know, as a kid growing up, and then getting known a little bit later in my life. Hey, work fast, stay on the mound, don't leave the rubber, rush the hitter, and and if you rush the hitter, you're at advantage. And and, and I do think there's some truth in that, that, you know, you watch guys and, you know, Kirk Reeder and Mark Burley, guys who weren't particularly stuffy pitchers who were really good because they worked at a pace that didn't allow the, the, the hitter to reset. And, and I think that's something that's going to come with the, the pitch clock, you know, but we'll see where that balance lies. The thing I'm excited about is the combination of the pitch clock with the throwover rules and combine that and this is it sounds crazy but combine that with the the bases and if you're able to time something that you know is coming or not coming and the base is you know four inches closer to you i think we might see a spike in the running game that we really haven't seen and and you know i know it's probably since I was a player, you know, 25 years ago, it's, you know, it, it's just not been a, a huge part of the game in a, in a couple of decades. And, and I think those combinations allow for at least the possibility that in, in the years to come, we're going to see a, a real a rise in how active you know, the, the game gets on the bases, <laughs> which is fun to watch. We have seen some of these rule changes already put into play at the minor league level, right? 
they've kind of used the miners to to is a playground and kind of clay to to mold what works what doesn't work how do you of the of these pitchers in the game today maybe even on your own staff how will it impact the most who of these pitchers will be impacted the most by these changes you think jerry you know, they'll be historically, we've always had in, in the game, we've had pitchers who work quicker and pitchers who work slower. We have pitchers in the game today who work slower. I think one of the most, uh, you know, head scratching moments for me is, is the, the fuss that's made about implementing a, a pitch clock because I do think it's good from, for, for the fan who's watching the game, for the player who's playing the game. But you're going to get some some pitchers who have a tough time adapting to it, you know, especially veterans who've never, you know, performed in that environment. So, you know, consider it the guys who are maybe among the older third of the players in the league who really never had to come through a minor league system where this was part of of their training. And change is hard, you know, and people don't typically like change. <laughs> so it's uh, there'll be some bumps in the road along the way, I'm sure. But I do think that for the good of the game, over the long haul, this is a great thing. Hey, Jerry, tell me a little bit about J.P. Crawford's offseason. His name came up, and, and you guys have made a, a really significant commitment to J.P. First half of his year last year was great. Second half, maybe not as great, certainly not with the bats. What has J.P. been working on this offseason, and what's a reasonable expectation for him this year? Yeah, J.P.'s a good player, and we talked about this a couple of weeks back. It's a, His offseason was spent uh, – working on, I guess, strengthening, especially lower half strengthening, you know, and, and developing more consistency with his back path. You know, I think the, he, he spent a lot of his offseason, and, and I don't think I'm, I'm sharing anything he would be uncomfortable with. He spent a lot of his offseason working with the, the crew over at Driveline in Kent, and, you know, the, the Driveline does a phenomenal job. They, they work with a lot of the, the, the really good players in our league. And, you know, when you walk in the, the doors and you see, you know, half a dozen major league all-stars working out at a given time, and, you know, it, it lends immediate credibility to the programs they run. And, you know, with JP, I think last year in the second half, you saw, you know, he was just beat up, you know, playing shortstop 162 games a year is a really rough job. And, um, by the second half, there was just he had no base. You know, his his legs were weren't under him. You could see the, how labored it was from time to time, just moving side to side or coming on and off the field. And and I think he spent a ton of his off season making sure that that he is in he's as strong as he can be to try to avoid that outcome. And you know, the JP has a good swing. He's got a good eye. He swings at the right pitches. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who hits 20, 25 homers, but he is a guy that gets on base, should spray his doubles, and uses the field to hit. And but when you lose your foundation, when you lose your legs, very often you wind up. It crushes your impact, number one, and you wind up rolling over a lot of balls because there's really you have to stay back to use you know the, the center or opposite fields. And you can't do it when your legs aren't there. So a lot of his offseason has been spent, you know, building that strength and swing repetition. And I think he's happy with the offseason he's had. We're thrilled with it. And you know, it's, it, he's a very important player for us in a lot of ways. And, and I'm thrilled that, that his offseason went the way it did. You mentioned bat path in there. What is, is that swing plane and, and some of those launch angle stuff that we hear about? 
No, you know, more traditional, it, and this is not really a modern reference, but when you when you lose your lower half, and I, and I can remember talking to, to hitters, you know, especially hitters as they age, and you know, the great hitters of all time will tell you that that once they reach a certain stage in their career, you know, a certain age, you know, it, it becomes paramount to start taking care of your lower body in ways that maybe you didn't when you were 22 or 25, and. And, you know, that might hit at a different point in every hitter's career. But once you lose the ability to, to engage your legs in your swing, to stay back, to, to, to really rely, we talk about relying on your hands. In order to rely on your hands, you've got to keep your lower body, you know, you, you got to keep your legs back. And at, when you lose those legs, the first thing you do is you jump, you know, or you slide forward in your swing. And then the, the bat casts. And a path that when we talk about the path, we're talking about the directness from the time your hands launch, that first movement forward with your hands. Now, if you think about a baseball swing, you're going to separate back. So you'll take your hands back and it could be two inches. It could be four, you know, and then you're going to, to bring the ball, the bat to the ball. And the more direct that path is, you know, the, the better. And, you know, if you think back to like Edgar's swing, so little movement and that the path was incredibly direct. And as a result, you get a lot of barrel contact. You know, when you're, when your legs are beat, you, you wind up casting out a lot. And now the swing gets out and around the, the ball. If that visual yeah. makes sense, yeah. you know, yeah, and your hands are, you're saying your, your hands are getting contact. farther away from your body rather than going straight Correct. to the ball. Yeah, I get it. It sounds a lot like every golf and lesson the- I've taken for the last three years. <laughs> Mike, stop throwing your hands out at the ball. Yeah, I get it. I'm on. I get this. This actually makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're trying to do is create, you know, more a, a linear path to the ball, you know, to increase the, the barrel percentage or the, mm-hmm. the 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 frequency with which you're you're dotting the ball up. I like it. Hey, you want a uh, quick little story that's going to lead to a, a question? Years ago, when I was at ESPN, I have no other way. <laughs> your your silence was <laughs> resounding. Yeah. So no, no, just ask the question, you moron. <laughs> All right. Uh, years ago, we were at ESPN, and in the springtime, we have meetings with a lot of the different conferences, and still do that while I'm at Fox, and they have their kind of spring meetings, all the coaches, ADs, everybody, and we got in these meetings, man, and it was it was pretty cool because David Shaw was a was was hot. He was really upset. This was the year that Christian McCaffrey, in his mind, deserved the Heisman Trophy. And they went back and they charted, and he had somebody there at Stanford go back and chart through the sports centers of the day how many times the name Christian McCaffrey came up versus the name, I don't even remember who it was, Tim Tebow that year, somebody that year uh, versus his name. And he said it just wasn't a fair fight that all you did was talk about these other guys on the East Coast. You never talked about Christian McCaffrey. You never mentioned his name. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty heated and pretty pointed conversation. I think if you took all of the words spoken on um, Seattle sports, uh, on all the shows here over the last couple months leading into spring training, you would hear George Kirby. You would hear Logan Gilbert. You would hear Luis Castillo. You would hear even Andres Munoz and, and, and Brash. And I don't even know if the name Robbie Ray has been mentioned this entire offseason. Right, it's almost like he's just been skipped over and everything else. Robbie Ray, save for performances against the Astros, was phenomenal. Phenomenal. He was a Cy Young Award winner two years. What are the expectations for that guy? Because it seems like everybody else been talked about, but he hasn't. You know, it, it, it tends to go that way, especially with young players on your club. Is that 
you know, people get excited about young players. They're the ones who can forecast more growth. And, and I guess there's some romance in trying to, to determine or estimate what they have the possibility to be. And, you know, and in Robbie's case, we know how good he can be. You know, he, he was the Cy Young Award winner in 2021. And, you know, what you said, it really rings true. You know, Sans a, a, a handful of outings against the Astros, it, he was very good, especially during the, the heat of the summer. When we got into, you know, late July, the month of August, you, you, you'd argue there was nobody better in the league. And that's a, he has the ability to do that. And that's transformational for a team. And, uh, I said this multiple times through this offseason when asked uh, about Robbie. Uh, do you worry about Robbie? It was a you know big moment giving up that homer. Will he bounce back from it? If you spend any time around Robbie Ray, and uh, you know I've, I've talked about teams' needs, you know teams that have they have a toughness to them. Robbie is like the he is central to our team's toughness. His his resilience is. He is about as down the middle, even keel, don't get too high, don't get too low as it gets. And, you know, my guess is Robbie's going to come in. Actually, he's already in Peoria and throwing bullpens. He's going to come in and shape. He's going to come in and do the things that Robbie does. And, you know, I think we'll have, you know, year two for Robbie is going to be better than year one because now he, he understands the environment and he's adapted. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what happens for him because it's the quality of his fastball slider combo is irrefutably good. You know, now we just have to get to the point where what we saw, especially in that late summer is, is more of what we see moving forward. And I think Robbie's going to make sure that happens. Hey, Jerry, how, how long do you envision Julio hitting leadoff? Uh, for as long as he wants to. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's 17 years if I had to, to plug one single number. But, I mean, truly, it's it, some of what we talked about moments ago about the, the, the way speed has a chance to, to change in the game or, or the implementation of speed on the bases in the years to come might shift us back, you know, toward what, uh, what leadoff hitters look like 25 35, 40 years ago. But right now, leadoff hitters, oftentimes, they're just your best hitters. And, you know, get them the extra at bat, hit them at the top of the order. You know, who's our best guy at getting on base? Probably Julio. Who's our best guy at, at cleaning it up? Probably Julio. Who do you want to get the extra at bat every night? Probably Julio. And, you know, if that's the case, then you should probably just hit them leadoff or two. And, you know, years ago, lineup construction, baseball wisdom suggested, hey, hit your best hitter third, hit your, you know, your most powerful hitter fourth, your fastest guy first. And, you know, Julio is kind of all those guys wrapped into one. And that's a rare player in the game. And I, I remember, you know, during my years in, in Anaheim, we had Mike Trout. And and when when that team was at its very best, Mike Trout was leading off and he was getting the at-bat every night. And, and, and I think Julio will do that at least until such time as I think it makes sense to, to, to shift the lineup or Scott feels more comfortable with a different dynamic, but it's pretty good lead off there. <laughs> hey, last question for me here, Jerry, the pitchers and catchers report next week. I think when we talk to you next Thursday, they will be down there. As you said, a lot of them already are down there, but just to get ahead of it uh, before Shannon Dreyer can write the article, who is going to be the player or two that quote unquote comes in in the best shape <laughs> of his life? They will all come in in the best shape of his life. Actually, 
yesterday we we had a a call with our pitching you know Trent Trent and and Woody and our pitching group the the just to go through how we want to distribute innings in spring training you know what we're hoping to achieve and build up with these guys and you know of of the pitchers who've reported and there are quite a few that are already there throwing bullpens uh, yesterday from, you know, Max Wiener and, and Trent Blank and Pete Woodworth as they you know, assessed what they've seen. I probably heard, boy, he's in phenomenal shape. This guy's in the best shape I've ever seen him. <laughs> so it's not just a player telling you <laughs> they're in the best shape of their lives. And that's, I think, reflective of what modern-day baseball looks like. When, you know, when when we were growing up and we're watching guys who in the offseason – you know, I, I had coaches who played in the 60s and 70s who in the offseason drove an ice truck or, you know, sold liquor for Jim Beam. And that was their offseason. Now the offseason hits. And these for these guys, it is truly a, a 365 job. They are getting after it. And when you see Julio and Teoscar Hernandez and, you know, some of our guys, just the physicality when they walk in the door for the first time, it looks like, hey, what did this guy do? Spend his winter in the in the weight room? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Which uh, member of the baseball operations team is going to be in the best oh, shape of his life we when we get down there? Yeah, you got a new elliptical workout for me? There's, I, I, I usually have something uh, up my sleeve. I, I am aging, however, so <laughs> if I if I wind up, you know, I'm definitely on the, the, the side of the aisle where the legs are not always with me. <laughs> so uh, if I had to bet on a single baseball operations person coming in in the best shape of their lives, I'm going to take Skylar Shibiyama, who is our resident uh, crack athlete, who if we play any type of game together, is he, he is going to be the best player and whatever that is pickleball it's a it's uh he, he is he's a he's just younger and springier than the rest of us but you know he's he takes care of his body he's in good shape i think he'll come into spring training as as the guy that has shannon writing art what's his uh what's his real job you know his real job he actually it, skyler is a special projects guy you know he has he's a he kind of is a data strategist who also let spends a ton of time with our advanced scouting team and puts together a lot of the unique things that we do from our, you know, our bullpen management meeting that you've probably heard about to building lineups, sitting with Scott and going through, you know, matchups with other teams before the game. He probably gets more one-on-one time in helping develop strategy for the game than anybody else in our group. And, uh, and just does a phenomenal job. Super creative, very smart guy. A nice shout out for him this morning and obviously very much in shape. So yeah, way to go, Scott. Jerry, appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we'll do it again next Thursday. And I'm sure we'll come up with uh, more important things to talk about than the best baseball operation shape of their career. Thank you, sir. We'll do it next week. All right, kid. There you go. There's Jerry DePoto, who joins us every Thursday uh, here on Brock and Soul. Did he just, he basically just Kevin collaborated me, didn't he? You want a quick story? Yeah, actually, no. Uh, actually, <laughs> just no. Ask, just ask the stupid question, <laughs> dummy. All right. Uh, we got so much to react to here between Jerry and uh, our interview earlier today with Jason Wolf, who wrote this story about Russell Wilson. I got to tell you, Brock, and all of the things I've ever tweeted, all the stories I've ever tweeted out, yeah. not that this has gotten the most clicks, but it's the highest percentage of impressions to clicks I've ever seen. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm, for whatever reason, because oftentimes you send something out and you're like, man, all these people looked at it. Nobody clicked on the stupid story. Thanks a lot, Twitter, whatever. Right. 
And in this case, it's been exactly the opposite. I, I am shocked at how much interest there seems to be in understanding what this deal is with Russell Wilson, the Russell Wilson Foundation, and what it means for him and his legacy, et cetera. So we'll dig back into that as well next. It is Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.